0: Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Rev. Joel Smith. From 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13 this morning. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance, of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Amen. Please be seated. In the year 410, the Visigoths, led by their leader Alaric, sacked Rome. For three days, they looted, burned, and pillaged their way through the city, leaving a wave of destruction. And that city, the Eternal City, which seemed to be a beacon of strength, was now in ruin, and this empire, considered by most, as one of the greatest, emperor, greatest empires and kingdoms ever, the one that seemed invincible, had been brought to its knees. And with it, the reign of the Roman emperors who were perceived as gods were shown to be nothing more than mortal men able to be conquered and overthrown. And so with the fall of Rome came the fall of Roman society, as most knew it at that time. And as a result, there was fear and unrest, and that became the norm. And so in the midst of that chaos and that uncertainty, St. Augustine wrote what is perhaps one of his most famous works, the city of God. And he wrote it for two main purposes. First, to be a defense of Christianity because the Christians were being assigned for the blame of the destruction of Rome at the cultural unity of Rome had been lost when they had forsook their Roman gods for the God of Christianity. And so many thoughts, as a result, we need to return back to these gods that would unify us, that would strengthen us. And Augustine showed that that was foolishness. But he also wrote it to strengthen the Christians who were being affected as a result. They were being persecuted. And so how could these Christians live in a society that was hostile to, To them? And at the same time, how could they be good citizens? As well as for them to understand that the church and the kingdom of God does not rely upon any human kingdom, any human government. And so, in doing, Augustine demonstrated that we are a part of two cities the city of God, and the city of man. And as a result, we are part of these two kingdoms that overlap in many ways. And he, in a sense, says that we have a dual citizenship. And our passage this morning from First Peter demonstrates this reality. How are we to be Christians, and to live in the world in which we do, specifically in the civil world, with our governing officials that are over us. And this is a part of a bigger discussion that both we have seen and will see. How are we to be in the world, but not to be of the world? And so we will begin looking at these aspects by looking at our civil responsibilities this morning. And we'll see it in two points. First, the Christian's civil duty. And then second, the Christian's civil liberty. And what Peter's been saying here is being built upon itself, that we're never to read these sections in isolation. And oftentimes it's easy for us to do that because we preach these small sections, but we must remember that this is a part of a letter and, and Peter is writing something and he's, he's, he's making his case. And so we have seen how Peter has told his readers and us being a part of that we, we are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Because we are built upon the Cornerstone. We are built upon the essential stone. We are built upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, that we have this marked identity. That makes a real difference in our life. And that comes from the inside out. It begins with a new heart that has been given to us by Christ and through the Holy Spirit. And through that new heart, we no longer conform to the patterns of this world, whether we're to desire for inner heart holiness, we're to abstain from the passions of the flesh as we saw last week, and from that new heart then comes new behavior outwardly, and we're to keep our conduct honorable, and we're to be above reproach in the eyes of the watching world. Because there are eyes, as you know, that are looking at you, that know you are a Christian, and they are looking to see how will he or how will she respond in this given situation. Will there be a difference? Or will they act like just anyone else, given their circumstances? This last week, I visited with Don Wilkes in the hospital. Don, as many of you know, is a, a true father of the faith. And I went to the hospital on the day that he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And I went there thinking, this is going to be hard. This is a, a terrible scenario, perhaps even Tragic. But you wouldn't know it walking into the hospital room. Because there was Don in his hospital bed and he was his old, cheery, smiley self. And he looks at me and he says, yep, I got a brain tumor. But it could be a lot worse. And in my mind I thought, Don, I don't know how it could be much worse. (laughs) A brain tumor is about as bad as it comes. But he went on to explain. He said, if the Lord decides me to use this to take me home, that's good. If he gives me many more years, well, that's good too. And that's what I'm talking about with this Christian witness, this Christian testimony to be different and to be distinct. It's not being different and distinct in a weird way, but in a way that demonstrates that you have peace and joy and hope that most do not have in this world. And we have opportunities all the time to demonstrate that. To demonstrate that we are citizens of a, a different kingdom, a, a heavenly kingdom. And that's what Peter has been focusing on here. And he even calls his readers sojourners and exiles. And he would call that to us as well. Even as much as we are citizens of this land. That we are to be citizens of a greater land. And, and in a sense that we are, are to be just passing through this world. But as immediately as he says that. He gives a, a healthy correction. Because it would be very easy to say. Well yes Jesus is my king. And so therefore I need no other king. I'm a citizen Of heaven, and therefore I do not need to be a citizen of this world, of this country, or this land. I do not lay hold of anything earthly, therefore nothing earthly can lay claim on me. I hold the laws of God, therefore I don't need to hold the laws of man. All of that sounds super spiritual, but Peter and the scriptures would also say that it's super wrong. Yes, indeed, Jesus is our king, but we also have earthly kings and rulers. Yes, we are citizens of heaven, but we are also to be citizens of this place. And so Peter says here in verse 13 that we're to be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. And then he goes on to tell of three institutions, the civil institution, the social institution, and the marital institution. And he says that there is order and yes, even subjection. Not a very popular word in our day, but subjection in each and every one of them. Notice in verse 13, he says we're to be subject to the emperor, the, the king, to the, to the governors. Verse 18 of chapter 2, he says that servants are to be subject to to their masters. Chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And then later in this same epistle, this same letter, he will say, be subject to the elders of the church. And so we see that there is subjection in the civil and social and marital and ecclesiastical or or religious or church realms. And in the coming weeks, we will look at each and every one of those. But today we want to narrow in on that Christian civil duty. And I say it's Christian because we have a Christian duty within each one of those realms that I just mentioned. Each one of those realms, each one of those spheres were created by God. And each one of those spheres has authority. Authority that has been given by God into human hands. And so, therefore, no matter the realm, no matter the sphere, we are to respect and honor those put in authority because they are done so by God. They've been placed there by God and have been given authority Through God. And all of that comes from the fifth commandment. You remember the fifth commandment and the ten commandments, right? Children, you should know this one well. Honor your father and your mother and parents. This is why we teach honor. This is why we teach respect. This is why we teach our children to honor and respect to you because if they don't learn that there, if they don't learn it in the home, where else will they learn it? That in the home is the place where our children learn to honor authority. That the home is the seedbed, it's the grounds for respect in all of those other spheres. But the fifth commandment is not limited to just the family. It's limited to all authority. There's never a time where you're outside of the fifth commandment. You don't get out of the home and go, okay, I don't have to worry about that one anymore. Check, I've done that. No, we are to honor every authority. We're to be subjects, as Peter says. Why? As it says, for the Lord's sake at the top of every civil and social and marital and religious sphere is the Lord and we honor the Lord by honoring those over us. We demonstrate our allegiance to the Lord by respecting those who are put in charge. Romans 13, 1 says, There is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. And so it begins... At the top. And it must trickle down. It begins with respecting God. And as a uh, part of respecting and fearing God, we respect and even fear those that are over us, that are above us. And we respond rightly. And so in the civil realm, as it says here, that we are to be subject to the emperor as supreme. Obviously, this was the type of government that was over them that Peter is writing to us. So how does that relate to us today? Well, we are to be subject to the president of the United States. And yes, I know that the president is not the emperor, even though he might like to be. And I also understand that the president is only one branch of the three branches of government. He is not the exclusive or sole leader. But the president of the United States, in many ways, for better or for worse, is the centerpiece of the government. And as a result, he's often the the bullseye, so to speak, for criticism, for lies, for hate, for slander and this is regardless of who is in the white house and yet this scripture would say none of those words should come from the lips of christians and yet how often it does how often you read of it perhaps even have said it yourself all oh, the president is a he's a moron he's an he's an idiot he's a fool And these descriptions almost become synonymous with their names themselves. And like I said, that is regardless of who is in that seat. And yet this is not to be Christian conduct. I get it, sometimes the president is not honorable. Maybe even a lot of times. Or even perhaps respectable in his conduct. And yet, that doesn't diminish our duty. We must respect the authority. We must respect the office because ultimately we respect God. Because that position has been ordained by God. And so as a result, we are to be subject to it, and so statements like "Not my president" is not only foolish but is sinful. Comes from a heart of rebellion. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't be critical or voice our dislike of decisions. That's part of the beauty of the government that we live in in democracy. And yet, we are not to do so without respect. I tell our children, you can disagree, but it doesn't mean that you can disrespect. In fact, oftentimes, is it not that you show your respect the greatest in following that which you may not agree in? And for many, that is a foreign concept, is it not? If I disagree, then I don't have to do it. No, you do. As long as it does not violate God's commands. We must. We must be subject, as it says, to the emperor and to the governors over us. And that trickles its way down, does it not? To the very basic and simple concepts. Down to speed limits and Stop signs and being hands free with cell phones, all of which I am guilty of. I don't preach this because I have perfected it by any means, nor have you. And yet, we can, like I said, disagree. And yet, still in our disagreement, we must be subject to the laws of this land. For example, we have what I think is the most ridiculous stop sign in all of Cobb County right outside of our neighborhood. I have had to stop umpteen times at that stop sign while there has never been another car that has come to that same T at the same time that I have to stop. And every day I want to just continue to go and not stop. And yet I don't. I must. And I do. And that's subjection. And so it's easy to grumble. It's easy to complain. It's easy to disagree. But it's hard for us, is it not? To be humbly subject to the authorities above us. But these civil authorities have been, as I said, ordained by God and they have a duty to do. James Madison said if people were angels, no government would be necessary. But we know that people are not angels and therefore government is very necessary. And Peter even goes on to say a part of what they are responsible for doing is to punish those who do evil. And to praise those who do good, that their role is to reduce harm and evil in this world and they are to protect that which is good and right and in as much as they are doing that they are being used by God to establish his order in this world and that is a good thing and we must respect and honor that and promote that promote those that do that type of work Same time, we as a church will never tell you how you need to vote. We will never have a political candidate stump from this pulpit or in this church. This last political season, we were asked if we could have some signs be put out on our property here, and we said an emphatic no. Because that is not the role of the church. But that doesn't mean that what comes from scripture or this pulpit doesn't inform how we vote. It absolutely does and it absolutely must. It doesn't mean that I don't have an opinion. I do. And I'll tell you if we speak in private, but I do so just as a citizen like you. It doesn't mean that you have to vote in the same way that I do, or that it's sinful to vote differently. And we've been given a a wonderful privilege in this country to elect our leaders. Most of the world does not have that opportunity. And we must praise God for it. And so we must use that selection, we must use that vote with wisdom and discernment, asking God to, to help us and lead us and guide us. And in so doing, we therefore need to get beyond merely race or gender, or can I even say it, partisan politics. And, and, and vote solely on those things. For example, this upcoming election, we have the opportunity to select a, a governor. And in the two main parties, we have a Democrat who is a black female and we have a Republican who is a white male. And let me say, if you are going to vote solely based on any one of those qualifiers, you're not ready to vote. At least not ready to vote as a Christian. You must vote based on what they stand for. Morally and ethically. Ethically that which guides them, what is the standard of right and wrong and so much more. Those are the things that we base it upon. Not if they're Democrat, Republican, white, black, male, female, any of those things. That's of much greater importance as we have said. And yet whoever wins the election, if it be our candidate or not, we must honor them. Some of you may Be involved in politics. Some of you may get involved with politics, formally or informally. And I encourage you to do so. I pray that there would be some within this room that would be city council members or state or national representatives. We ought not to abandon this space. Rather, we should seek to be a godly influence because that is a a good and, and noble task. We still won't endorse you as a church, but I'm sure there will be many from this church that will help you with your campaign, and they should, as good citizens. Because being Christian and being a politician are not antithetical. And I'll say this too. Christianity is not reliant upon any one particular government. Sure, not all governments are equal. But our goal is not to see democracy spread around the world. Our goal is to see the kingdom of Christ extended. Which will influence governments. But the call of Christ is the same. No matter what government controls the nation. The call of Christ is the same in democratic America as it is in communist China. Remember who is in charge when Peter is writing this passage. Most likely the readers are under Nero, who was no friend of Christians, who blamed Christians, who literally burned Christians to death. And yet the call remains the same. Be subject to the emperor. Yes, even that one, Peter says. He says, verse 15, by doing so you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Even if the foolish people are the ones that are governing. The greatest spread of Christianity right now is in nations hostile to Christianity. I think it's in part because of how Christians have conducted themselves in the light of unfair and unjust treatment and persecution by their civil government. And they're just demonstrating to, to the watching world, to those that are around them, that their beliefs mean more to them than even their physical well-being. They're even giving of themselves to death. And the blood of martyrs, as you know, is the seed of the church. And what is intended for evil, God uses for good. As human leaders try to extinguish the light and flames of Christianity, they only spread it through their persecution. Because it gives an opportunity for Christians really to shine forth in the midst of the darkness, in the world that they live. And so if it comes to it, will it be the same in the United States? I think much of it depends on how we live now. If we can't follow these simple things when the days are good, even the the simple things as we talked about, how do we expect to, to follow Christ and his commands even when the days turn evil? It begins now. It begins with right honor, right subjection. Write prayer for our civil authorities. Let me ask you, when's the last time you've prayed for those that reign and rule over you, even while disagreeing or may even not liking them personally? We must still pray for them. Well, second then, we have this Christian civil liberty. Liberty and freedom are beautiful words. That represent beautiful realities. Realities that our country has tried to uphold and and has fought to persevere. Remember Patrick Henry, his famous statement, Give me liberty or give me death. Or we can even think of Martin Luther King, how he stood for freedom regardless of race or skin color. And those are things that we as Christians should fight for, for, for liberty and freedom for our country, for all people that dwell and live here. But I'll say this, there are no people on earth that are freer than Christians. Even if they live in bondage in the land in which they dwell. Notice Peter even mentions this in verse 16 as a, as a comment, as a a. A matter of fact, as a a simple statement. But listen to how glorious this statement is. Live as people who are free. Live as people who are free. We are free in Christ. We have been set free from the bondage of sin and death. We are no longer enslaved. We have been freed from the penalty of sin. We have been freed from the power of sin. And one day we will be freed from the presence of sin. As Jesus said, if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. If you are in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, you are a free person. And what are we to use our freedom for? Selfish frivolities for foolishness? No, look at what Peter goes on to say that we are to use our freedom to live as servants of God. He says that at the end of verse 16. Use your freedom for service. Just as the Lord came to this earth as the king and ruler over all, and yet came as a servant, not to be served, but to serve, and gave his life as a ransom for many. And so... What does this freedom look like? Well, very quickly, Peter here gives rapid-fire bullet points. He says that we are to honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. That's what freedom looks like, that we are to honor everyone. Are you sure, Peter? We're to honor everyone. That means you honor your, your lesbian coworker. That you honor your co-inhabitating neighbors, your crazy second cousin, that flaming liberal or that rage cage conservative. Yes, we are to honor everyone. Why? Because they are made in the image of God. Now that doesn't mean that we honor or agree with all of their choices or their decisions in life. You can accept them and still not accept their behavior or their beliefs. We can honor one another and yet adamantly disagree. We can. I know many people say you can't, but you can. I promise you we are to honor everyone, even while perhaps disagreeing, even while pointing them to a a greater way that they could live their life, the way that they could live it in freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must goes on to say, "Love the Brotherhood." Paul says, "As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but especially those who are of the household of faith, that there is a priority given to the household of faith, that we're to, to love and care for the brotherhood, We're to use our gifts and times and time and talents and love for one another, that we're to serve each other, and in so doing serve those outside of the congregation, love the brotherhood, and then finally fear God and honor the emperor. Notice, honor the emperor doesn't say unequivocally obey the emperor or any leader. Why? Because we must adhere to that first commandment. We must fear God. And if there is ever a conflict, the path and choice is very clear. The apostles say and We must obey God rather than men. Just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we read earlier, would not bow down to the golden image. Just as Daniel continued to pray, even though he was forbidden to do so. And we must, we must fear God and follow his commands, first and foremost, even if that means that we must suffer the ire of the Sid social and political leaders. We must have the approval of God first, for that is far greater than the approval of any person. Beloved, we are to be citizens of two kingdoms. We have dual citizenship and yet one God over all. And we are to be in the world, but not of the world. Peter would say to us in the Holy Spirit through him that we are to use our earthly citizenship to point to our heavenly citizenship. That through fearing God, through honoring everyone, through loving the brotherhood, through honoring the king, we are showing our honor to the greater king. And so, as we conclude, may God be pleased to use human governments and human officials for his reign and rule until human governments and human officials are needed no more. And may he use us and the freedom that he has secured to be civil servants in both kingdoms, all for his glory and for his praise. Let's go to the Lord and ask him for his help Even in this. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you, O Lord, for your grace and mercy to us. Lord, we confess even the places that we have failed, perhaps even this week, to give you honor by not honoring those above us. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, through your grace, through your mercy, through the help of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would be good civil servants, that we truly through being civil servants, would be servants of the Most High God, that first calling that you have called us to. And in so doing, may we give you praise and glory, and may we use it to be a witness, to show that marked difference, that marked identity, that we are marked out from the world to live as holy beings unto you. We pray this all in Christ Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.